Hawks Nation, the podcast representing the best fans in college football. Now, here's Tyler and Jerry. What's going on? Welcome into another episode of the Buffs Nation podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Walji. He is Jared All to my right. Jared, what's going on? Oh, man, not a lot. What a couple of good games to kick off the college football season. Cannot wait to see the Buffs get back on. We are here. Rocky Mountain Showdown coming up this Friday. CU taking on CSU at Mile High Stadium or whatever the heck you want to call it these days. What is it? We're just back at Mile High. You know what I don't care what It's going to be Folsom Field 2 this Friday. That's Let's right. go Buffs. Big game. Big way to start out the season. I always get pumped up for the Rocky Mountain Showdown. Now, we will get there, I promise, but we'll start off in uh, week zero. It was an exciting week zero. Florida-Miami opening things up. Is there anything that you can take away from watching those early games? Yeah, I need to pull back my words I used there in the intro there. Good games may have not been the best choice of words. <laughs> Very entertaining yeah, games. Yeah. Um, man, just it was incredible to me just to see how undisciplined... Um, uncontrolled that these players were playing i mean the the penalties the turnovers it it was an exciting fun week but boy i'll tell you what it just makes me really hope what i've heard mel tucker and this coaching staff preaching from day one since they took over for the buffs i really hope we see that to come to fruition see a disciplined fundamentally focused team out there because that's not what we saw in week zero well i didn't necessarily see non-focused non-disciplined from florida now talking about the first game specifically i saw non non-focused non-disciplined from miami i thought florida made simple week one mistakes and it's week one there's going to be tackling errors there may be a mistake or two the coaching staff might make in-game decisions they might that, that they may, may not to make later on in the season but overall in that first game i saw a florida team that you know went out and just kind of had week one issues the week one bug miami didn't look very focused and i thought we may see that out of a miami team after they got rid of mark Richt. But they just weren't well, ready especially to all the characters they brought exactly. in this offseason. Right. So with Mel Tucker preaching discipline, mental focus, you have to assume that, you know, hopefully they'll at least be ready to go. We'll still we expect to see the week one flaws, right? There's gonna be things that you have to iron out. These are just they're human beings. It's there's no preseason in football. NFL players who are professionals at this get four games to practice and they still don't look that great week one (laughs) exactly so it's difficult much more easier uh, much easier said than done to just be ready to go out there hit the ground running um anything else that uh, we can learn from the week zero games you know, it's it's tough. I, it's hard to take too much from, like you said, a, 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 essentially what is an exhibition game. I mean, these are teams with so many moving parts. It's really hard uh, to, to know what you're getting coming in. Well, so, how should teams approach week one? I mean, how do you go into it? I think you need to approach it with exactly that in mind, understanding it's going to take you a week to get going. And so I think it's foolish to take on a stout especially a tough team with a tough defense, a high-ranking team. I think oh, everybody... Oh, no. You, you're not going that direction. We want in college football good games yes, early and, on. And you know what you what leads to good games in week two and week three? Giving people a quote-unquote preseason game week <laughs> one where they can iron out some of these things. Then you start to schedule. I agree. You should be scheduling tough non-conference games. But if it's worked for Alabama and Clemson over the last few years, I'm going to say that's a model you should follow. Give yourself a cupcake game easy early game and then turn around and start playing some tough games week two and week three where do you put the csu game in the i think that is a perfect cupcake game (laughs) the only thing i don't like about it is that added the rivalry that does add a little bit of intensity 
to it. That's a good thing. It, oh, for a fan's perspective, yeah. yes. But as far as a, an opposing team that gives them an edge, it gives them some reason to come out and beat you. Instead of if you're going against uh, Texas Southern or, or whatever the heck they did last year, but I've that's always, what you you want to go up against. I've always I've always said that it's it doesn't benefit the Buffs to play CSU week one. Now it's good for the rivalry. It's good for in-state college football. But there's no benefits. If CU loses this game, you can pretty much write off the season. You know they're not going to be that good. There's not, not that much to look forward to. If they beat CSU, it's not as if you can have some rejoice. It was a big week one win. It's like you're expected to but go out there and beat CSU. CSU is garbage. The it's, idea, though, behind playing a team like that is if you don't come out with your best stuff week one, you can still slip by with a win. No, Even if true. it's a 28-27, shouldn't have won it, had no business winning it, you can get by with that victory still. Rocky Mountain Showdown this Friday. What does Rocky Mountain Showdown mean to you? I mean, isn't it kind of special? Isn't it fun? You know, Tyler, you and I both grew up with younger siblings. Um, I grew up with a younger brother. And this rivalry to me... What? Why do you bring my younger sister into this? She never wants the oh, day I've, of football on her life. I, I've seen you with your younger sister, <laughs> you and, and I think uh, I think you, you'll understand if you give me a moment here. Okay, well, So okay. <laughs> this dynamic of this rivalry reminds me a lot of that older brother, younger brother, sibling rivalry. You know, Most of the time, big brother, totally fine. Want to see your, your younger brother do well, your younger sibling succeed, do well. Every now and though, that younger sibling gets a little bit cocky, starts to think they're playing on your level, and you got to make sure you pound them to the turf, you make sure they understand they don't even belong in the same league as you, let alone on the same field. That's what this rivalry is to me. CU is the big brother of CSU. They have no business being on this field. And to be honest with you, it's a stretch to me to even call this a rivalry the way that CU has dominated it over the years. Yeah, CU, I mean, a total record. A uh, If you go back from game one, Colorado owns this series, 66 wins, 22 losses, and two ties. The f- last five years alone, CU has won four of those five games, outscoring CSU 164 to 64. A little fun fact here about uh, the uh, rivalry. Since, and this was actually since 2015, where Utah and Utah State ended their rivalry. The Rocky Mountain Showdown is now, currently, the oldest rivalry in college football subdivision, the FBS, with two public universities in the same state that have the name of University of Blank versus Blank State University. Give it up for the Rocky Mountain Showdown, everybody. How many more caveats can you throw in there? <laughs> right? More conditions to that? I know. When I first heard that it was the first, longest rivalry in the nation, I thought that was pretty cool. And then it comes with all the other stuff. And but that, hey, that, that ends after it's this year, the- correct? The, this, is the, this is the last. It breaks for a couple of years. No, after this. The, they will play once more once next more. year okay. in Fort Collins. Then they'll take a two-year break. 2023 in Boulder. 2024 in Fort Collins, but that's only as of now. I'm assuming that's going to change in the coming years, but I mean, I think it says something about the negotiations where CU had only gone up to Fort Collins once in the history of this program, in the history of this rivalry. They'd gone to Fort Collins once. Now, in a four-year span, they're going twice. So that, to me, says CU is actually the one wanting this more because the Ram. This is simple negotiations. The Rams are saying, "Yeah, you guys want to play us? You can come up here." And CU said, "Okay." So that's going to happen for a couple years there. Um, 
All right, Jared, let's just get into the preview right now. Overall, as we talked about, it's coming up uh, this Friday. What time's the game? I should know this right now. It's an 8 p.m. kickoff, okay. Mountain Time. So a little bit later, it seems like, than usual. It's on, but it's on ESPN, It is right? an ESPN game, so it'll be a, a nationally televised game. And so I think that's probably part of where that comes into play. But it works out great for those of you like me that have uh, have to work a full day before that. You get off of work, you head straight over, you still got plenty of time for tailgating. Enjoy the festivities. Almost we too all much know time. You no, wonder how many people are going to be Never drawn. too much time, Tyler. <laughs> Come on. Speaking of that, I do have an announcement for those looking to go to the game uh, sober, without drugs, alcohol, anything like that. Not we that will be checking at the door. <laughs> Not that we would encourage drugs or alcohol or anything like that, but Unless it's, it's an interesting new group. Uh, the Sober AF Entertainment uh, it's brand new, last couple of years, Sober AF Entertainment, looking to bring fun without drugs or alcohol to concerts, sporting events around the country. So they will be at the Rocky Mountain Showdown. What they also do, and this, so let's give out the information first. For everyone out there interested, if you want to go to a tailgate without alcohol, without all that stuff, I know there's definitely a market for that. They also offer tickets in the same section. So those who want to go to the game and not sit around a bunch of drunk people can sit in the same section with other sober people. Uh, they sell those tickets starting at $35 and you can actually get those at the, or at the, um, um, let's see here. They're going to be, they, they're going to have a stand outside of the uh, Rocky Mountain Showdown. So that's this Friday. They'll have a place where you can go, sign up, get some fun stuff, and potentially get some tickets as well. For more information, check them out online, SoberAFE.com. What do you think about that, Jared? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here debating how offended my friends would be if, <laughs> if I made that a regular habit. Um, I think we all know there's there's always, uh, it seems like there's that one guy in every section that, that, that likes to kind of try to ruin things for everyone. So that's actually really cool that I they offer those opportunities. I, I'm split on this, okay? Because there is always the one one guy who's the loud cheering when the wrong side's on the field. <laughs> exactly. And, and he's always the obvious drunk guy. But then the other part of me says, okay, now I do want to preface this all saying it's a great idea. I think it's awesome. I, I, I totally support it. I totally back the idea. But in a football game, how loud is that section going to be? <laughs> you know, you know. I will say, I mean, though, that I'm the type of person that cannot stand to be sober around drunk people. I enjoy having a few cocktails myself. It's quite annoying. But, man, it is just like night and day, and I'm miserable. So for me, personally, it has nothing to do about not wanting to be loud, not wanting to get in the game. I just want to all be on the same page rooting for the same team at the correct times what I'm looking for. All right. Should we get into the actual game, break down the Rocky Mountain Showdown? Oh, is that what we're here to do today? We are here to break down the big game coming up this weekend. Now, Jared, before we get into some of the stuff on the notes, the advantages here for the offense, defense, so on and so forth, any surprises on the depth chart? Depth chart obviously released uh, somewhat recently. Were you blown away by anything? I won't say I was blown away by anything. There were a few surprises. I think more so on the defense than the offense. We know a lot of what was coming on the offense. We had a lot, uh, saw a lot of uh, buffs returning, at least from these skill positions. Obviously, Steven Montez at quarterback, LaVisca Chenault, Katie Nixon. You know all those guys. I think the running back position is going to be an interesting one to watch. A uh, couple of young guys. I think uh, the most experienced running back, Alex Fontenot, has, I think, less than 30 carries in his career right, as a right. buff. So he's going to get the nod as a starter. He's a sophomore. But watch out for Jaron Mangum. True freshman, 6'2", 215 pounds, put up a lot of big-time runs throughout spring, summer practices. So that'll be fun to watch. On the defensive side of the ball, uh, another freshman, he's actually a redshirt freshman I want to point out, Jalen Sammy. 
Guy is 6'6", 320 pounds, and he's not even 20 years old yet. Put that as a pers- some perspective okay. right there. So big boy you're, lining up at nose tackle. You're moving kind of quick here, Jared. You're, you're running a hurry-up offense right now. I know the Buffs may want to move quick on offense, and actually, I don't know that. Fred. Do you know no, that? No, I don't think they will. Who knows? I, I don't think they will. Well, that's what we think. They may come out and run some pace, some tempo. That's what's so exciting about a new coach, new system, new philosophies. You don't really know what you're going to get. That's a huge advantage for the Buffs. Absolutely. I mean, that's a massive advantage for CU. Especially that, going up against a, an opponent where you hopefully don't have to show a whole lot. Right, exactly. So here's what I want to do. Let's go offense to defense. Okay. And I'll give, let, let, let's just give the familiar names. The names that everyone kind of knows right now, the playmakers who we can expect to see carry over from the last couple years. Steven Montez will be the staple there at quarterback. Uh, Jer- uh, Jared did mention Alex Fontenot. We saw him get a couple carries last year. Maybe not a whole lot of a workload, but we still saw him on the field. Dimitri Stanley, KD Nixon, LaVisca Chenault all return at receiver. That's a nice little core to have there on the outside. Yeah, and if you look at the depth, it is really there at that position. If there's one position where the buffs are just loaded, no you go five, six, seven deep. Well, let's read, some, let's read some backups and CU fans. Tell me if you remember Tony Brown, K, or excuse me, KD Nixon. Uh, didn't Jalen Jackson get on the field last year a little uh, bit couple, before he got well, redshirted? With, uh, with, with LaVisca Chanel being injured for much of the season, they really leaned on a lot of these guys. Well, Daniel Arias is another guy that got on the field last year. And we year. all know the Chenault name, okay? Vontae Chenault. Freshman. Is he going to even get on the field? He no, plays the same position as his brother. I, I want to see him smart, this year. If they're smart, they won't let him get on the field. Well, you can still maybe, play four this games. This is true. I forget this new new rule in place. So maybe we see him jump in on some special teams, some opportunities like that. They have a lot of speed at the receiver position, which is great. You can utilize as returners, things like that. Tim Lynott, that's going to be one of the biggest uh, anchors on the entire team. They moved him from uh, guard to center. Yeah, kind of an interesting turn of events this offseason. They well, switched was, positions. But him Jared, and Colby Purcell that's switched all positions. about the mental ability and the fact that he's a captain there on the line. Senior, four-year starter. 100%. The coaching staff said, they came out and said, we want Lynott there. Not only, because the center is probably not the most important position. We can all agree left tackle has its place. The guards have their place in the running game. Every position is obviously important on the offensive line for different reasons, but the center is the quarterback, making sure the guys next to him have their assignments. So, and uh, a right tackle, William Sherman. Don't call him Sherman Williams. Can't wait to see these guys out there, man. It's yeah, and he's, he played several several games for the Buffs as a freshman last year, so yeah. good to see him back out there as a start. New names on offense, uh, Brady Russell, tight end. He competed a little bit last year, so he was on the squad. Brady Russell was not expected to get the tight end job, and this is actually one of the more, m- more interesting kind of position battles that we saw on the field. Jalen Harris, the Auburn grad transfer, we thought that he was going to see immediate time, but Brady Russell was more consistent through camp, showed that he was receiving a little bit better, catching the ball a little bit better. And when you put that together with the fact that he put some weight on and really improved blocking, obviously that's what you're looking for at tight end. And the position of tight end has changed. So when Brady Russell was at tight end last year, last year he was asked to do very different things for the Buffs. Now with this new system, a little bit more physical, you're going to have to run block more. Brady Russell has showed improvements there as well. The other thing, just touching on that position, is you will see Jalen Harris, number nine, playing a lot as the second tight end on the field. You're going to see a lot of two, two tight end sets, something that I don't know that we saw from the Buffs at all over the last four or five years, having well, two tight ends on the field at the same time. And that's why it's important that both Brady Russell and Jalen Harris, look, it doesn't really matter who the starter is there. He may see a couple more snaps, but you're right, Jared. A lot of two tight end sets. 
And did you notice who's third on the depth chart? There? I, I sure did. That was a, a move that was made early on in the offseason. Bo Bisharat making the move from full, or excuse me, from running back to tight end. If you remember during his recruiting process, he came in as an athlete. A lot of people thought he might play defense, some linebacker, things like that. Buffs chose to put him at running back. Just never quite clicked there for him. And so I think this is a good move for him. He's a big physical guy. I think he's going to have an opportunity to make some plays there. There's uh, one other player that I want to point out uh, that you may have have missed on the depth chart uh, moved from the quarterback position Jared you're skipping ahead let's do that when we get to defense Put it away. Put it in the pocket. Let's get there when we get to defense. We're talking about the same. You're things. gonna you're gonna hold me up. You're I'm gonna, gonna hold, hold me you up. up. You All can't. Right. And it's a nice little tease. Okay. Hopefully, no one's fast forwarding right now to get to the defense. But Jared, wait till we get to the safeties. Because I'm sorry, I'm excited. I know man. you are. It's week one. What do they say on a water boy? Last game of the season. Brent can't hold anything back now. That's how I feel. Week one. You're going into the season. I'm pumped up to get this thing going. But you're gonna have to wait there, Jared. Before we move on from Bo Bisharat, do you ever feel bad for these guys? I know. That I, you know, I know they're athletes and they came in with understandings that you may or may not play, but we have watched, we've covered CU since Bo Bishra was a freshman and now he's come through the system, never really got any time at running back. He's the third string tight end now. You feel bad for guys like that, or is it kind of part of the sport? I think it's a part of the way it is. I think if he truly felt like he would have been better suited at another position, that's something he probably could have approached the coaching staff and and pushed for if he thought that he was better suited to be a linebacker, maybe had opportunities in the NFL that way. But I think he wanted to be a running back, and I think that's why he stayed there for as long as he did. And I think now as a senior, he's seeing the writing on the wall that he's probably not getting too many carries in this loaded backfield that they have. So he took an opportunity to get on the field. We mentioned Tim Lyonot leading the line there at center, and uh, I think you also mentioned the guard uh, who he switched with, Colby uh, uh, Purcell. Uh, he was the center, so they just kind of flip-flopped there. Uh, who I mentioned, uh, William Sherman, earlier. He made the biggest transformation. Now everyone on the line has gotten bigger. Last year, the line weighed a collective uh, 1,475 pounds. Well, they've put on just shy of 100 pounds this year. That's a good amount of, of weight. If you're talking about per athlete, per pound, that's a massive improvement. Uh, William Sherman made the biggest improvement. He weighed around 280 last year, now weighs 310. Jared, we're going to see some beef up front. The Buffs are going to be able to run the football. All five starting linemen for the Buffs this year are over 300 pounds. I can't remember the last time we've said that. And before we get to the defense, I know we kind of started with them, and that's the, the uh, halfback position. These running backs come into the season with a ton of question marks. And I understand, if you're from an outside source looking in, if you're just looking at CU right now, they look young, they look inexperienced, but one thing we know, if you watch the buffs, is that yes, Alex Fontenot can play, He's a and, and he's a good pass protector, he can catch the ball well out of the backfield, but Jared, I have a prediction here. I think that by halftime of the CSU game, Jaron Mangum will overtake that. I think it's going to be obvious that when he gets on the field, he's a different style of runner. He's more physical. The coaches haven't seen these players, their peak physicality yet. So when you get out there and it's game speed, I think Jaron Mangum will be the clear, better running back. I think we're going to see it in the stands. I think the coaches are going to see it on the field. And I believe that through the game, through the first couple games of the season, he will start to get those third down carries. But he's got to work on stuff that gets you on the field on third down. That's exactly right, Tyler. Is He's got to get out there and show them in game situations. He can handle the pass protection. He understands where he's supposed to be, the routes he's supposed to running, or if he's staying in the backfield, who his key is, who he's supposed to be blocking. Because you miss that block, and that third and four, 
becomes a sack, your quarterback might be hurt. You might be dealing with a whole lot of problems if you don't make that that proper. And, and he's block. a true freshman. I mean, let's face it. Even though Fontenot's a sophomore, he has a lot more experience in the Pac-12, playing college football, protecting Stephen Montez. But the true freshman does come with a lot of accolades. He has been given offers, or he was given offers, before he committed to come to CU. And yes, we're talking about running back Jaron Mangum. He got offers from Texas, Texas A&M, Alabama, Oregon, Ole Miss, uh, Mississippi State. I mean, what SEC school didn't offer him? Florida, Florida State, Jared, this was a sought-after recruit that came to see you. I, I think we can see an immediate impact out of him. I'm looking forward to it. I, it's, it's something that I think the Buffs have a tradition of great running backs coming through this program, and he may just be the next one in line. All right, let's get to the defense. Names that you will recognize. D-tackle Mustafa Johnson. Going to be clogging things up there in the middle. Did he impress you last year? Absolutely. He's a guy that I think that's is on NFL teams' radars because of his season he had last year. Led the team in sacks and tackle for a loss from an interior D-line spot. That's huge. Speaking of potentially on some NFL radars, where is Nate Landman right now? I mean, the one thing I thought of doing my prep for this year was every time Nate Landman's name came up, I just thought targeting penalty. Like, that's the one thing that comes to mind. He's a, a heck of an athlete, though. Does he have any NFL aspirations? He does. He has good size. He's six foot three, 230 pounds, kind of your ideal inside linebacker in today's NFL. I think the biggest thing he needs to prove is consistency and coverage. We know sideline to sideline, he's a tackling machine. He's a great athlete, great instincts. But in the NFL, you want to play linebacker, you want to be a three-down guy, you have to be able to cover tight ends, running backs, out of the backfield. So let's see how much of that he gets put into those opportunities this year and how he performs. Uh, Delrick Abrams, we're going to see him back again this year. But Jerry, there's a, there's a lot of new names this year. And we will start at safety. I know you're itching to get there. But before we get to your guy, before we get to your man who you've wanted to bring up, let's talk about Mikhail Onu, the SMU grad transfer, going to be starting at strong safety. Uh, I, I mean, he's going to bring physicality, speed, intelligence. I like Mikhail Onu. We haven't heard really much about him, but he knocks back Isaiah Lewis and Jared Isaiah all or um, um you Trey Udofia. <laughs> I'm also when I say all over there, go on hitting the time machine. Trey Udofia, who to me was one of the biggest, brightest cornerback uh, uh, prospects that we've seen in a while for CU, moves to safety last year. And then now is not on the roster for personal reasons. Yeah, and we'll, we'll let time tell where, what's going on there. I never like to dive into anyone's personal life and what's going I on there. Uh, I watch TMZ. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit. I can't help myself. Uh, so let's hope for the best with Trey Udofia. Let's hope things work out for him, that he's able to get back with the team this year. Uh, but having Mikhail Onu step in is a huge bump for a guy that has ton of playing experience yeah, he's for a defense good. with virtually no starting experience, especially in that defensive backfield. All right, I'll let you take strong safety. What's going on with strong safety? Strong you safety. Year, you know, it's interesting. There's a lot of talk, a lot of uncertainty at the safety positions. Obviously, both starting safeties graduated for the Buffs this last year, so a lot of young guy is going to compete in there and one other guy they wanted to throw his name in that in the ring was Sam Neuer former quarterback spent two years as a backup to Steven Montez again he's starting to, to approach the tail end of his career he's now a junior with the buffs 
six two or excuse me, six foot four, two hundred and twenty pounds. That's a big dude. Talk about that lining up at safety. I'm really interested to see. He's only this was only about uh, two or three weeks ago. We're now uh, August twenty sixth. This move move was made about the middle of August, so very late. I think it'll take some time for him to get comfortable. He hasn't played this position since the middle of high school, since he was a sophomore in high school. So it's going to take some time for him to adjust back to this position. But I think that this could be something as you see towards the tail end of the year, him coming in on deep ball situations, on big play situations where he can be a quarterback on the back end of that defense. And now he actually can live up to the much heralded nickname that I gave yes. him, Neuer the Destroyer. That never caught on, but now <laughs> now we're talking. Any other names on defense you want to point out? I know that before the show you were talking about Alex Changham. Yes. Like he's going to be ver- he's going to be important on the outside. I was reading an article that he's really working on his versatility, being able to get to the quarterback, work on the run, uh, stopping the run as well. Yeah, he's, he's sort of filled out a little bit in, in his game. He really came in as just a pass rush specialist. He was a JUCO transfer a couple years back. Hasn't really gotten a chance to get on the field much, but really impresses coaching staff with his physicality that he showed this year and and what he brings as far as in the running game to shut down in the running game. I think that's something that the Buffs could really use off the edge. And CU's returners, let's not forget, they're electric in the in the special teams category. Dimitri Stanley listed as the number one punt returner, KD Nixon behind him, Jer- uh, Jarek Broussard, Maurice Bell, both going to get some time returning the ball. So CU's got some athletes they're going to be able to put on display back there. You see, you suppose Alex Kinney comes back with the, uh, the mullet this year? Or was that no, a, was that a curse? Mullet. Was get, that a curse get for Get rid of that stupid mullet. I'm not a fan of the hairdo. Uh, the Buffs have uh, eight seniors, four on offense, four on defense. In the starting, uh, in the starting lineup, zero true freshmen. Now keep in mind, as we mentioned, true freshmen do get four games uh, to play without. Is it up to four? Like, can they play in four games? Through four full games, and then at that point. No soup for you. They are on the team officially. But that's nice to have early in the season to try some different guys out. Uh, always good for uh, some of those uh, younger teams who want to give some guys some time. And no freshmen starting, but when you look at the two deep, the, the, the second stringers across the board, there are a ton of true freshmen listed as second stringers. So you can guarantee through these first two or three weeks of the season, you will absolutely see these guys on the field, see what they're made of. All right, Jared, let's get into the game here. Biggest advantage, biggest advantage excuse me, for the uh, University of Colorado on offense. Where are they going to have the advantage when CU has the football? I think really at the just at the point of the attack, the line of scrimmage. You talked about the beef, the physicality of the offensive line for the Buffs this year. I think they are going to push around this Rams defensive line like they're high school kids. That's something that was a weak point for the Rams last year. I don't think they did a whole lot to improve upon that this year. So I think the Buffs are going to have a great opportunity at the line of scrimmage. I'd like to see them run the ball down their throats, show this balance that Mel Tucker's been talking about all offseason. Look, I know we don't want to stress much about the Rams. We're not going to break them down a whole lot this show, but if there is one unit on defense, I know they're not great anywhere. It probably has to be defensive line, though. I mean, again, we're talking on different standards here, right? We've seen a lot of Pac-12 schools last year, so on and so forth. But if you look at CSU's talent and depth, it, it, there are question marks in secondary. So yes, I understand. Here's CU's where I'll line. let me let me give you a little bit of a, a explanation of that because when I look at the defensive line for CSU, they're undersized and they're very good pass rushers. Two of them are very very good pass rushers. So you're you're not going to get a whole lot of push up front. That's why I say be physical, be up front with them, run the ball. Okay, you know what's so funny here? 
is, Jared, I think that you do the exact opposite. I know that's what Mel Tucker wants to do. I know that's what CU is equipped to do. Jaron Mangum, Alex Fontenot get them the early carries, this big offensive line that we just talked about. Start by enforcing your will. And if I had to assume or guess what the Buffs will do, I think, Jared, that just by the nature of Early on, first coach, you don't want to start slinging it from the play one. I think they will come out and try and establish a running game, but that's not what they need to do. One of the biggest def- or one of the biggest deficiencies on CSU's entire roster is the secondary. Who cares? Those you know safeties. what you can do with your receivers, with that quarterback and Steven Montez. I don't need so to see ex- what they can so do. So exploit that. This isn't practice. This isn't the preseason. This all matters. None of it is none of it no. goes in, in, in the Save practice. That category anymore. No, Save that for Nebraska. Save that for Nebraska. I want to start seeing what these guys can do. From the from the very get go, and if there's one place you can attack CSU, it's deep. So I want fifty to zero by halftime. I want I want to see Vontae Chenault in by halftime. It's the receivers who are going to have the advantage on CSU's defense. And the good thing about this for Buffs fans, Jared saying the running game, I'm saying the passing game. That's a good thing, right? That's At least right. it's not like, huh? Maybe special teams. <laughs> you know, this is, this is good. All right, let's go to the defense. Where we'll see you have the advantage defensively. Is it is it just too taking too easy of a thing to say uh, the, the defensive line as no, well? That's the, that, that's, that's the bread and butter right there, man. Yeah, it, it is, and I think just uh, one of the things I really want to see out of this this Buffs D line is get after the quarterback. I think that was a weakness for the Buffs overall last year. I think you saw it early on against CSU. I think you're gonna see it again this week because CSU is in a caliber below when especially when it comes to oh, the big physical up front year. they're bad they didn't get any better from last year they have uh you know two new starting receivers they have a new starting running back they have a different quarterback than was playing last year so a lot of moving parts you're going to be able to tear them up i want to see this this pass rush become established early on get after the quarterback yeah i actually couldn't agree with you more that's the one place to see you will have that huge advantage and, and the reason is is over the course of 60 minutes you have to to be able to compete with your offensive line. If you can't stop the other team's defensive line, you can't do anything. I mean, we always talk about linebackers, secondary, so on and so forth. If you if you can't stop their D-line, you can't run or pass. You're not have no time to pass. So it's going to be a long day for that CSU offense, especially that CSU offensive line. Uh, what would you constitute a good performance for the Buffs? We've come out, talked about the little brother performance. We expect to come out and beat CSU. So I guess give me a barrier. Give me a, what would you walk away from that game and say, that was a good performance? And then what would make you say that was a bad performance? I think, first of all, when we're talking on a good performance, I want to start by saying it does not require 40 or more points. The Buffs do not have to light up the scoreboard for this to be a good game. I think the biggest thing I want to see is a team that is clearly better from the first play of the game to the last play of the game. I want to see the Buffs come in, first three or four possessions, take control of the game. Get up by one, two scores early, put them away by halftime. I think if you're any anywhere within two scores, this is this is bad news. If you have a if you have a game in the fourth quarter where you're having to go put up points to put them away, even if it's, you know, extending a lead from seven to ten or seven to fourteen, that's a bad position to be in. If it takes you four quarters to put this team away, if you can't get your starters off the field in the second half, you didn't do something right. Yeah, and that and that's the thing. It's for me, when I walk away from the game, I think that there's going to be a lot of room for bad. And what I mean by that is if CU loses, obviously that's a bad game. But if CU wins and doesn't look very good, this is what you do every year. Is It's not just about beating CSU. It's about going 
Did CU look good during that performance? Remember when we beat CSU 17-3, I think it was, a couple yeah, years ago? Yep. And we both walked away going, I mean, I, I, you won yeah. by two touchdowns, but it wasn't the performance you're looking for. Well, and even going back, uh, you know, I know that you, you brought up the one year that was 17-3, but hi- historically speaking for Mike McIntyre in this game, they dominated this. So as a new coach in Mel Tucker, that's a little bit of added pressure to say, hey, the guy you just replaced was able to dominate this team. What do you think about the new – the idea of a new coach coming into a program and having to learn the rivalries, you know, because I grew up from, you know, age three. I've hated CSU. I've loved the buffs. Mel Tucker moved here like a year, you know, not that long ago at all. So I think true football really people, dear, it doesn't weird. take a lot when you when you spend a lot of time around a group of people that are passionate and you believe in the same things they're believing in. I don't think it takes a lot to rub off yeah. on him, and I think it does help too that he has some history going back when he, in his playing days when he was playing for Wisconsin. Mel Tucker as a defensive back for Wisconsin, they went up against the Buffs in their heyday in the early '90s and got a chance to see them, got a chance to see the the rivalries between CU, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Texas. He's talked about that, how he wants to bring those back because of how important he feels those things are. All right, we've kind of talked about some of the different players that we're going to watch, but and I know we kind of hit on game plan a little bit, but let's go overall. Macro picture, what do you expect CU's game plan to be? Offense, defense? Now, I said that I think that they need to come out and stretch the stretch the field vertically on offense. That doesn't mean avoid the running game completely, but that means take the early shots. I want to see a deep shot on the first series. I want to see them trying to go 15, 20, 30 yards down the field with LaVisca Chenault on the outside. I want to see explosive plays from the get-go on offense. Why? Why, Tyler? Because it's the one place that you can take advantage of CSU, and if you punch them, if you get that knockout punch in the first round, there's two philosophies. There's either wear them out throughout the course of the entire game with that running game, then by the fourth quarter, they're done, they're tired, right? That's one philosophy. The other is beat them, knock them out in the first quarter, get, you know, completely destroy their will by halftime. So that's what I want to see. I know the weakest part of the CSU defense is the the secondary, primarily the safeties. So how do you challenge those two safeties? You go deep, you go deep early. It's not about CU or easing these guys in. It's about winning this game and and knocking CSU out early. So that's what I'd like to see. See, here, this game and this game plan is so much less about CSU and what their strengths and weaknesses are. I couldn't disagree are. more. Because this is football, Jared. Everything is game by game. You can't right yes. now look forward to Nebraska. But what have you been preaching all off season long? Balance, 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 physicality, dominating the line of scrimmage. Why not come out? I don't care that's the strength of their defense. I'm going to dominate you anyways. Because I'm going to come can- out you and do it. Because guess what? That big play that you need, you don't need it against CSU. You'll get by. You'll win this game without. <laughs> you need that big play against Nebraska. You need to hold everybody. that back. You need that against everybody. No, you hold that back so that it's there in your back pocket. I think if there's one thing we saw about the Buffs last year and their use of Lavisca Chanel, they didn't hold enough back. They showed too much early, Jared, and everyone started figuring them out. I think we're getting in a lot of trouble if we think CU's in a position to waltz through this game, ignore CU, I'm not saying or ignore, ignore CSU. Understand the principles you want to bring to your offense. Just because their secondary is weak doesn't mean you completely forego everything you went through in the offseason. That's not, you don't that's go not spread offense. That. You not, go too tight end, I don't you bash think, it down their throats, and then you open up to a big play. I don't think they, the team would lose respect for Mel Tucker or his message if they came out throwing the football. 
I think that they would respect it, but they just know it's game time. It's not going to be 1995. We're running the ball 45 times. You the keep game. it close to the vest. Oh, God. You understand what it takes for you to win this game. Understand your opponent that you can't take them lightly. But from a coaching staff, you keep it close to the vest and you show them what they need to see for you to win that game. There's one thing we do agree on. Looking for a big buffs win, right? Hell yeah. Absolutely. All right, let's take a quick break. Coming up next, we'll talk to our Pac-12 insider, Tyler Fessler. See what he thinks of the Rocky Mountain Showdown. Special thanks to the Wise Listing System team online at paymyfirstmonth.com. What they will do, not only help you find the house, condo, whatever it is you're looking for, but they'll pay your first month's mortgage. And that can be so important. I mean, think about all the money you're saving up, spending during that whole process, whether you're living in your old house, living somewhere in between houses, it can be a pain. So not only are they going to make it an easy process from the get-go, they'll they'll make it seamless, getting you new houses, showing you different... I mean, Jared, we've seen different times where they've shown people, you know, three, four, five houses, or up to 10 to 15, whatever you're looking for, they'll get you in the perfect house. Not only that, they'll pay your first month's mortgage. Uh, Check them out online, paymyfirstmonth.com to uh, save yourself a little bit of a headache today. Hi, welcome back, Buffs Nation podcast, leading up to the Rocky Mountain Showdown. This Friday, 8 o'clock, kick on ESPN. Mile High Stadium, Jared, nothing better than starting things in Denver with CU and CSU. All right, let's go to our Woos Media Pac-12 insider, Tyler Fessler. Now, the thing about Tyler is he covers the Pac-12 top to bottom, and he is not biased. We're going to have him on the show throughout the season to let us know what he thinks about the Pac-12 and about our CU buffs. But uh, Tyler, we're going to focus on the Pac-12 South today. Who do you think wins the Pac-12 South this season? Uh, the team that I have winning, now not to be biased or anything coming from Utah, but I do have the University of Utah Utes. I think that their leadership at quarterback is going to be what separates them from the rest of the conference. I know that, uh, well, that side of the conference. Arizona State, uh, you know, I've heard their name bounce around, USC bounce around. Uh, but I really think that the University of Utah has it all put together. Uh, I mean, bearing that everybody stays healthy, but uh, Tyler Huntley, Zach Moss, Britton Covey, and a, a pretty good schedule as it lines up, I think the Utes are going to take the Pac-12 South this year, and we'll see, be seeing them in the title game. Hey, Tyler, Jared here. I know the Pac-12 has question marks up and down the conference. Just how good do you think the Buffs can be this year within the Pac-12? Personally, I think that this team has enough talent to get back to a full game. Uh, I've studied them for quite some time. I've gone back and forth. I am a Buffs fan myself, and so I've been following for the last six or seven years. And uh, I think that if they can get back to a full game, that is that should be the goal, is to bring back to what they had in 2016. I mean, that was a remarkable season. I remember being super happy uh, the way they played. I honestly think that that would be, like I said, ideal. Uh, they have some winnable games. I think they can beat the two in-state teams. They can beat CSU. I think they can beat uh, Air Force. And I even would put them up against Nebraska. Nebraska's coming to Boulder. I think that they have a chance to even win that game. Uh, throughout the Pac-12, they've been able to uh, upset teams. Last year, they beat Arizona State, maybe UCLA last year. So I think, you know, you put them up against anybody, they have the talent. 
talking to Tyler Fessler, our Woos uh, Media Pac-12 insider. Uh, Steven Montez, I have been a Montez fan since he walked on the campus here at uh, CU Boulder, but he's had his ups and downs, let's face it. Where do you have Montez ranked in your Pac-12 quarterbacks, and how good can he be this year? Personally, I have him at number three. Last year, he passed for almost 3,000 yards. He had 2,849 yards, 19 TDs. Now, a lot of what a lot of quarterbacks in the Pac-12, they're not proven winners. There's a you know a transfer from uh, that's at the University of Washington. He isn't proven to be a winner. I can't put him above Montez. Just like the guy from Washington State, Gabe Gumbrand, can't put him above Montez. I think that he is. I think his arm is a little bit better. I think he's a little bit more versatile than uh, a guy like Khalil Tate. I have I have Justin Herbert number one, and I think Montez would be right there at number two, right there with Tyler Huntley. Tyler Huntley's had a couple of uh, injury problems, but I honestly think he's better than than the Stanford guy, KJ Costello. I think Montez, uh, with what he brings and just the versatility, being able to get out of the pocket, throw the deep ball, I think that that's what separates him. He's a senior, and I think a lot of guys on that team are going to be looking up to him. He ranks very high for me in the Pac-12 just because a lot of these guys are unproven. And uh, I think he has a pretty decent uh, decent offensive line this next year, uh, so he'll be protected. And that's the biggest key to, to a successful quarterback is the, the offensive line play and how, you know, if they're getting the push off the ball in run plays and then being able to protect him during the pass plays. All right, Tyler, Rocky Mountain Showdown coming up this week. Let's hear your pick. Who you got taking it down this week? I want to say I want to be taking the bus. Uh, I'll have CU. Um, the final score I have right now is 31-10. to 10. Uh, Vegas has CU, I believe, as a, as a minus three, so that they have them favored by three points there. But I think that Colorado is going to come out. They're going to be ready to prove something under uh, Coach Mel Tucker. All right, thanks so much, Tyler. We'll talk to you soon. See you soon. Awesome, thank you. Special thanks to uh, Tyler Fessler. We will talk to him throughout the season, like we said. Jared, I agree with him. A lot of people don't give Steven Montez the respect he deserves. This guy can play. So third ranking in the Pac-12, I've, I've got him right there. I think that's fair. You know, it's funny how quick of a drop-off it is from Justin Herbert. And yeah. then you look at it. Steven Montez is a great quarterback with a ton of potential. And this coaching staff, I think, is going to be very helpful for him getting into a more pro-style offense, learning more of those concepts. I think it's going to be good things for him in the future. All right, key players for the game. I know we've already kind of been talking about uh, the entire roster, players we recognize now recognize give me some key players here offense defense who we can expect to hear over the loudspeakers this friday oh we talked a lot about jaron mangum and i think that's probably first and foremost who, who you got to look to can I, think. I say something quickly about jaron mangum is i know we always like to kick the old coach on his way out jaron mangum signed last year in july july of 2018 mel tucker came onto the buffs in december of 2018 so it was Mike McIntyre and his staff that got Jaron Mangum here. Let's not forget that. Yeah, and Darian Hagan being a big part of that, who was kept on, exactly on the right. staff. Yep. So absolutely. So he's obviously one we've spent plenty of time talking about. I think you're going to hear his name a lot. Um, you know, on the the rest of the offensive side, I think Katie Nixon. I'm really looking for him to have a big game today. Obviously, I think you and I can both expect that we're going to see double teams, triple teams on Lavisca Chenault. I'm actually, no doubt. No I doubt. hope that they do. I really do hope that that's what their goal, game plan is because I think that so many teams around the country don't understand just the, the depth of talent at the wide receiver position. I look for Katie Nixon to have a huge game. I want to see Dimitri Stanley stand out. Uh, redshirt freshman, played very sparingly last year. 
has an opportunity as the number three receiver. He actually is starting over Tony Brown at that number three receiver spot. So has an opportunity to get on the field early and make some big plays. You know, we haven't talked a lot specifically about LaVisca Chenault, but I mean, how, that that's actually one of the biggest, obviously, you know, keys to see success this year. But last season, with Mike McIntyre and the offense that we saw, and I understand Mike McIntyre was still a defensive guy. We're not blaming him for everything. But this was an offense to where it slowly became throughout the season, okay, let's snap the ball, let's give it to Visca, and then just kind of let him do whatever. He had, in one game, 88% of the offensive touches. Or it was something like on 88% of the snaps he touched the football. That's ridiculous. So to see how this coaching staff uses him this year and maximizes that potential, that's going to be interesting. And to I want to see to that point how they utilize him early. I think it, we could all look back at last year, and, and it was very obvious why Lavisca Chenault wore down at the end of the year. His body took a beating through those first four or five games, and he couldn't hold up. I don't think anyone could hold up after that. So let's see if they maybe utilize some of these, spread it around a little bit more, so you don't see as much there. And then where are you going on defense, Nate Landman? Nate Landman is obviously one to look for, but I'm really looking forward to seeing Alex Changham out there on the edge. He's somebody that went out and earned that spot. I think you're going to see a much more focused pass rush from the Buffs this year, and I think he's the driving force on that. Remember, he's in front of uh, Jacob Collier, who looked really good last year in this very game. Yes, and then ended up going down with an injury last year. So, you know, those things, they, they sort of feed into each other. Let's get your prediction. Friday night, 8 o'clock, CUCSU, Rocky Mountain Showdown 2019. Who you got? You know I got the buffs. I got 34 to 13 buffs. I think we're going to see a bit of a different tempo than the high-flying games we've seen the last few years in the Rocky Mountain Showdown. I think Mel Tucker is going to make an effort to control the game when the buffs are on offense, and I think you're going to see a lights-out performance from this defense. I think they're going to be aggressive. They're going to be attacking. Mel Tucker gets a first win, and Buffs get their fifth straight Rocky Mountain Showdown win. Yeah, I mean, look, I have 42-10 here. I don't see... I see this being a blowout from the get-go. I think CU dominates all aspects, all facets of the game, offense, defense, special teams. They blow CSU out in the final game, potentially, we say ever. It's not going to be ever, but the final game in a while in Mile High Stadium. I think CSU does... I mean, I think that we're going to see some mistakes. I think you're going to see your typical missed tackles. There's going to be maybe an interception thrown by Montez, maybe a fumble or two. But over the course of a game, CU wears down the Rams and just does what we expect a Pac-12, a good Pac-12 team to do. But they better make sure to come out uh, throwing the ball deep, though. Right? <laughs> That's exactly right. All right, that is it for uh, this week's show. Let's go Buffaloes. Let's beat the Rams. We'll talk to you next week on Buffs Nation. Let's go Buffs! Buffs!